I'm here with the Reverend Alan Maxfield Steele, who is co-executive director of the Highlander Research Center in Newmarket, Tennessee. Uh, it's been almost a year since he and his co-director Ashley Woodward Henderson were on the podcast and we're checking in with the Highlander Center because there's some exciting new developments. So welcome to Nothing Never Happens. Thanks so much for having me back. It was a nice surprise to get this invite again. Well, I'm glad you were in town and we could connect yeah. uh, in person over coffee. Over coffee, under the sunshine, <laughs> with the wind in the background. And a, and a beer festival down the street. But coffee right in front of us, yeah. <laughs> That's the important part. Uh, so uh, you've I got a lot going on at the Highlander Center. That's right. Uh, a new center for education and leadership. Well, we have a what we're calling the Septima Clark Learning Center, uh, which is going to be a it's a project that we're going to be breaking ground on, hopefully in 2018, and it will be the next place where we do our work with our library work. It'll also have an open floor plan uh, that allows us to do a lot of things like bigger meeting space. For 70 people, uh, artwork, art projects, arts and organizing work, film studies, etc. So we're really excited that uh, in this moment we're starting to drum up some interest and support from folks to honor Septima Clark and her role at Highlander while also meeting the needs of the 21st century movement. Okay, well, uh, let me get you to talk a little bit about uh, the legacy of Septima Poinsett Clark um, and uh, her importance for not only popular education, but social change, and in particular, the citizenship schools and civil rights movement, Absolutely. Uh, her leadership, and um, also the connections that she had with folks mm -hmm. who also became leaders. Absolutely. So yeah, Septima Clark's probably most well known for being the director of education at Highlander in the 50s, uh, right before the state of Tennessee and local Grundy County officials chose to shut down uh, where we were originally in Summerfield, outside of Mont Eagle. Uh, we're bringing black and white people together to uh, establish a new social and economic order. So uh, Septima Clark was the director of education for Highlander at that time in that season and brought with her to Highlander work that was coming out of the Sea Islands off of South Carolina, uh, work that was inspired by uh, a brilliant a uh, black strategist named Esau Jenkins, and that was accompanied by other educators like Bernice Robinson mm -hmm. uh, to establish the Citizenship School program, which is a pretty broad uh, and a strategic literacy program that was intended to train up folks in black communities to pass the literacy tests that were a part of the Jim Crow segregation South, which mm -hmm. uh, prevented folks who didn't have uh, either the strong enough reading skills or the strong enough civic skills and civic understandings and to, to pass the tests that would allow them to vote. Um, so this was done, being done in the 50s um, and is credited uh, for basically helping to flip some of the governance systems at local and statewide and region-wide uh, scale. Um, and so Septima Clark was part of Highlander at that time and yeah. was the one who really held that at yeah. Highlander before it moved on to the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And she was from Charleston. Yeah, that's my understanding. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Bernice was her cousin. That's right. Who that's had a beauty parlor and taught the classes right. in the back of the beauty parlor. That's right. Yeah. So the, I mean, the way that citizenship schools worked is not kind of the formal school setting that we might imagine in our brains, uh, even though it was 
uh, like a lot of school teachers and other folks who had been involved in different kinds of work getting trained up. The point was to be able to teach people how to teach other people, which was central and still is central to what Highlander does, which works with regular folks to help train them up in the things that they need to meet the conditions, to change the material conditions that they have in, you know, in, their, in their communities. So, yeah. yeah. Well, she became uh, one of the uh, major workshop leaders at Highlander mm -hmm. and was the leader of the most famous workshop that Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. attended to um, talk about the Montgomery bus boycott mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that emerged out of that. That's amazing. That's right. Um, That's right. But the citizenship schools eventually were taken over by the SCLC. That's right. Uh, Ella Baker was a part of that and mm -hmm. attended a workshop with um, uh, Septima. And uh, one of the things Septima Clark had to deal with that is very current for us today in the Me Too movement <laughs> is um, the sexism of the, of the mostly male-dominated movement. And she said that sexism was one of the greatest weaknesses of the civil rights movement. Mm. Um, so you had a woman early, early on who was addressing sort of the whole holistic issues of power, uh, you know, patriarchy, mm -hmm. um, racism, and all of that. Uh, so uh, with the SCLC staff, you know, mainly women, because women were the educators, mm -hmm. and then, you know, seen as a threat, mm -hmm. Septima. Mm -hmm. C.T. Vivian said, one of the things you don't want is Septima giving you the look. <laughs> That's amazing. I've not, not heard that quote. <laughs> yes. So, so I think uh, that's something to remember in the new center. You might have the look. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. I think the that's ghost a really, of Septima. <laughs> that's fantastic. I think that's a really important move for movement in this time is to retrieve uh, the from the from movements past, you know, folks who are really on the cutting edge of some of these questions, right? You know, so mm -hmm. um, we're really excited and honored to be able to name this after Septima Clark. Mm -hmm. We're also in, cognizant and really aware of what it means to really talk about women's history, black women's history, yeah. brown mm -hmm. women's history, Latinx history at, at Highlander, particularly in this moment where some of the questions that are being raised are like, where is, where, what are the resources that we have in our past and our movement history that we can job on it, Septima Clark's a perfect example of that. And you mentioned folks like Ella Baker, a perfect example of that. Yeah. Uh, even the woman who, uh, especially the woman who gave the land and the house for the founders of Highlander to use uh, originally mm. in Summerfield, Lillian yeah. Johnson, uh, who was an educator, one of the first women PhDs in the South, oh, uh, was right. a college president in Ohio. Uh, this is in the 20s and 30s. I mean, she was a mover and shaker in agricultural cooperatives and progressive education. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, we, it's, it's wise for us all to, to, to remember that. So one of our, our newest structure on the site is called the Lillian Johnson Lodge. It's where folks sleep, it's where folks yeah. gather, and it's just this remarkable building and often named in honor of Lillian. So this will be the next, the Septum Clark Learning Center will be the next new building, and it's part of part of a uh, more intentional consciousness around women's history at Highlander. Yeah, and then Black Lives Matter. For know, sure, absolutely. Women. Absolutely. Uh, African-American women. Absolutely. So, uh, and the leadership of Ashley Woodard Henderson is the first black woman executive leadership yeah, at Highlander. Yeah, exactly. I think we're in a really powerful moment in movement and at Highlander. Yeah, yeah. So what it, what are your goals and for this center? What do you envision and well, hope to happen there? Right. So there's a few. Um, pure and simple, I mean, the story of the library at Highlander is a really powerful story. Uh, 
books that were gathered at the original Highlander Folk School where we were in Summerfield. Let that let that truck go by. <laughs> um, these books that we still have in our current library today, the one that we're actually going to be replacing. Mm -hmm. uh, these were books that when the state and local authorities tried to uh, stop Highlander from operating, these books yeah. were stashed in local barns of allies of Highlander uh, all throughout Gundy County and throughout Tennessee. And over the years, they were brought back together and brought to Knoxville where we were after we left. And now they're displayed very proudly and very usefully on a wall in our current library. And they'll, so I bring that up because the story of like books, resources, materials, stuff you can put your hands on, look to the past, study together. That's pretty much the central point of the learning center, right? We, yeah. we have a workshop center where a lot of the popular education action happens. Mm -hmm. This learning center will be, uh, that, that kind of stuff will happen in the learning center too, but specifically the point of this will be to house the materials that we have, uh, those that we want to keep on site, like the original books from the library that you know, was part of Highlander from the beginning, yeah. um, the, some of the photos and other archival work that we have that we're going to retain mm -hmm. on site. Uh, also a lot of, we have drawers and drawers and drawers full of curriculum that Highlanders designed mm -hmm. but that other movement organizations and movement leaders and other people have designed that we have on site. So we want to make yeah. sure that, the, that those those materials are there. And plus just the archives of Highlander. I mean, we're yeah. a place that uh, has been a halfway house for movement for decades. And to have a really secure and safe and really user-friendly mm -hmm. place for that kind of work uh, and that, that kind of history to be, the material history to be, is a yeah. real big goal. Um, yeah. The other component of it will be, like I was saying at the beginning, you know, it's going to be two stories. The top story will be where the library and learning or the library is where the books are and then the bottom floor will be an open space a more open space mm -hmm. it'll be accessible from the ground so folks can uh, you know do the very uh, necessary things if they're outside during our annual homecoming they can use the bathrooms in the bottom floor but yeah. more importantly it'll be an open space that fits hopefully 70 to 100 people and that'll be the single biggest mm. uh, indoor space that we'll, we will have had in a really long time at Highlander since uh, before oh, nice. we were yeah. uh, told to leave from Grundy County. So we'll have that indoor. It'll also create space for you know, uh, uh, cultural organizing work like art production, film work, uh, mm -hmm. just general meeting space. So we're really excited about having a more multi-purpose space on the second floor and the bottom floor of that. Um, yeah. The other thing is that the programming, right? Like we have yeah. uh, Susan Williams has been a, a part of the education team for, over, for almost for maybe over 30 years now. Susan's our archivist and our education team member who kind of coordinates mm -hmm. the library mm -hmm. and the programming that comes out of that. We have a lot of researchers, a lot of scholars, a lot of folks coming off the front lines who have questions about their movement past, you know, what yeah. was going on in my community back in the 50s around this kind of thing. And so we want to design programming that's like a normal library, right? Like pointing people in the direction to materials mm -hmm. and stories that they wouldn't necessarily get yeah. in the libraries of their hometowns or mm -hmm. state libraries or university libraries. And the other piece is to help people in the 21st century do 21st century movement research, right? So yeah. a lot of our archival material is actually uh, held in places like the Wisconsin State Library or Wisconsin State Archives. That's right. Ap yeah. Appalachian State has a lot of our materials. Mm -hmm. University of North Carolina Chapel Hill has a lot of our materials. So we want to develop programming that helps people when they come to Highlander access those materials both on the hill but also digitally. So there's a process oh, yeah. of digitization that we're going to have to get into. So there's just a wealth of movement memory, movement history mm -hmm. that people are clamoring for in the 21st century. And we want to create yeah. a space, plain and simple, where they can access that and learn that and contribute to their work. Oh, yeah. yeah so we're really pumped. We're really, really pumped about it. So what about the timeline? 
the timeline the timeline of the center for the construction yeah so we're at a point where we received a really generous gift uh, during our capital campaign a couple years ago and that is a seed that's a seed gift mm -hmm. um, and we have to raise a little bit more money before we start breaking ground but we're pretty confident that we can either break ground this spring or next spring we're mm -hmm. in central Appalachia uh, the winters can be pretty trying yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we have to time it right plus our summers are the busiest time of year for Highlander on the hill yeah. uh, and so we want to time it right and our uh, uh, Tim McGinnis is a our contractor who helped build the Lillian Johnson Lodge and we're going to bring mm -hmm. him and he's given us guidance that hopefully we can break ground this spring uh, if we can't break ground this spring by next spring 2019 mm -hmm. then we'll have it in by 2020 at the latest hopefully so I'm really excited about it yeah, yeah. oh that is yeah really excited yeah, yeah. so in um, looking at, uh, you know, recreating the, this new library and learning center, mm -hmm. have you run across anything that was particularly surprising or useful to you in your movement building work as the co-director? That's a really great question. In addition to being able to get in there from time to time and take a look at things like the Committee on Religion in Appalachia, CORA, which is an organization that mm -hmm. looked at Appalachian movement building through a faith and justice lens. Yeah. Um, it's no longer an organization that's fully in existence, but it's a lot of its archives are held at Highlander. Uh, okay. One of our former directors, Jim Sessions, the Reverend Jim Sessions, yeah. uh, who works with interfaith worker justice and uh, jobs, sorry, jobs of justice in Eastern mm -hmm. Tennessee now. Uh, he was, a, I think, an ED of and so a lot of the materials, I should say, have been really important for me as someone who hmm. is exploring the, the intersections of that work. Yeah. But a real cool story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Ashley, uh, the co-executive director, and I were given a tour one day, and we walked uh, the group of people that we were talking to into the current library that we have now, the one that we're going to be replacing. And we went to the old wall, the wall that has the old books, the original mm -hmm. books on Highlander. Yeah. And Ashley looked on the stacks and she saw uh, a first edition copy of black worker and she mm. pulls that off she goes wow you never see these first editions of this and, she, and so that <laughs> blew her mind you know she's like this is an original copy of like a really groundbreaking work from the early part of the 20th century mm -hmm. and then when she opened it up on the coverlet was the name alva taylor and most people don't know who alva taylor was but he plays a special part in my own understanding and my own kind of movement genealogy. He was a Disciples of Christ pastor uh, oh. from the early part of the 20th century who taught at Vanderbilt Divinity School and hmm. established the Rural Church School and was mentor to Don West, who was one of the founders yeah. of Highlander yeah. and was a conversation partner with a lot of the founders of Highlander, including Miles Horton and others. Huh. Um, and he was a member of the church that I was ordained in. So anyway, mm -hmm. this was his original copy of Black oh, Word. Wow. And so for Ashley and me in that moment, particularly, you know, we're looking back for examples. Um, I think a lot of people are looking back for examples of, you know, the state and the systems that we're up against right now. Mm. We're trying to divide people across racial, gender, class yeah. lines, religious lines. And for that, that was a little snapshot into the history of solidarity that has been built among people in its current and contemporary expressions so that was just a phenomenologically amazing moment for me. yeah oh, that's cool. <laughs> and that kind of exploration and discovery takes place in libraries in general but imagine movement libraries where that takes place so that's what we're excited about are, are there other movement libraries that's out great, there so project south right here in atlanta has oh, a yeah. fantastic library at its, at its site i would definitely recommend that's folks true. learning more about that as they feel comfortable and able um, 
there are a lot of great, I mean, there are repositories of movement knowledge all over the place, right? So like I yeah. mentioned earlier, Appalachian State's a great spot. Okay. Um, Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, UNC uh -huh. Chapel Hill has an incredible Southern collection, a lot of stuff that's recorded. So they have, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of recordings of things. Um, uh -huh. I'm sure that there are amazing state archives and state university archives that yeah. I don't know about that have that. Yeah. Um, but I'm not 100% sure that there is something that goes back as far and is still the same organization and that is a movement organization that has what we have um, yeah, in the intersection. So. so it's a pretty it's special, you know, mm -hmm. to make us better than anybody else, but it certainly <laughs> makes us special. <laughs> so we're excited about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been up there. Oh yeah? Stayed in the lodge. Go cool, cool. a lot, did research in the library. Very yeah, cool, it's very fantastic cool. as it is. That's great. Uh, I want to get back to the role of religion for a minute. Oh sure. Um, and um, Rosa Parks had said when she went to the, the workshop in the 1950s that Septima Clark had a particular kind of spirit and huh. that she hoped to catch a part of it. <laughs> and so I have this quote from Septima Clark that I really like. Um, she said, I just tried to create a little chaos. Chaos is a good thing. God created the whole world out of it. Change is what comes of it. So, and you as a Disciples of Christ minister, and the disciples have a particular history for social justice. Yeah, um, that's true. Especially in the South. Um, and I know because I went to their summer camps. And oh, yeah? Bread for the World uh, gathering in New York City and Washington, D.C. That's amazing. When I was a senior in high school. Oh, that's amazing. Even though I'm not disciples. I'm yeah. Episcopal, but they were the ones with the youth group in my school team. Gotcha. Um, so, I can owe a lot of my radical. <laughs> so, and so it seems like you know we already know you know how much religion and religious music and and preaching and all of that and faith uh, had to do with the civil rights movement, um, you know, driving this the citizenship schools and, um, and and holding people up through the through the struggle. Um, so, could you talk a little bit about the role of religion and, and that that legacy as, as it comes to bear? Highlander today. Absolutely. I mean, I think your your own story is, is and what you shared about just civil rights history and its relationship to Highlander's work at the time is really a testament to that. I think one thing that we, we, we practice a methodology called cultural organizing. It's one of uh -huh. our six methodologies. And yeah. the methodology of cultural organizing, as we define it, as the staff who've helped develop that methodology over the years have helped define it. Um, is that you know if you bring arts and culture and cultural production and holistic wellness and faith and spirit together, that will shift policy. That can shift policy. If you draw mm -hmm. people into being able to share who they are, their whole selves, mm -hmm. they will collectively, in a very pluralistic way, regardless of whether they're you know Christian or not or whatever, yeah, yeah. people the, the pluralistic nature of that, which I think is you know religion at its best, uh, will help to shift the material, social and economic conditions of the day. And I think mm -hmm. we see that now. I mean, we don't always see people who are coming at it from Abrahamic faith, um, Christianity, Judaism, or, or Islam, but we, we do have those folks who are part of our community and our staff. Uh, we have folks who are coming to the Hill, coming from more neo-pagan traditions, yeah. uh, folks who are spiritual but not religious. Uh, but what I think people are all yearning for is something more. <laughs> yeah. And I think that something more, that something next, is what really drives 
the spirit of movement building. And I think Highlander is privileged to be able to accompany that and often create that space for the people. Uh, and so, you know, the this movement moment demands more of us. It demands a different kind of imagination. Uh, and I think the role of religion and spirit at its best and faith and spirit at its best uh, helps spark new ima old imaginations made new <laughs> um, about yeah. what does it mean to recreate a world, to create a world that all people can live in with dignity, that creation, either capital C or lowercase c, mm -hmm. uh, can thrive and people can survive and do it with dignity. I mean, I think that's religion's goal at its best. And I think yeah. we, we, we're, we're happy to accompany that <laughs> as we're able. All right, thanks. Thank you. Anything else you want to tell us about the center? We're excited for people to support it. So if you want to learn more, give me a shout. All right. <laughs> uh, my email address is on the website. I'm happy to yeah. talk to you about it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alan, thank for being you. on the podcast. It's a privilege. Thank you. And I'll rise up, I'll rise like the day. Assist on Nothing Never Happens includes audio engineer China Wilson, assistant audio engineer Abigail Cox, and social media consultant Kirsten Schultz. The opening theme music was by Aviva and the Flying Penguins and performed by Aviva and Lance Eric Hagen. Music for the ending credits is Rise Up by Aldra Day, performed by Agnes Scott student Victoria Martin of the Joyful Noise Gospel Choir and accompanied by that choir's director, Dr. Nathan Rigsby. For the silence is in.